Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day weekend, and we have a man of God in the house today. Brother Mike Ware and his wonderful wife, Jeannie, I want to introduce you, Mike. He has been such a blessing to Elizabeth and I. He and his wonderful wife have just been consummate voices of um, encouragement. And I just ex- I love the example that he's been in my life. You know, affirmation goes a long way. And to have an overseer, someone who cares about you like that, is a powerful thing. So we honor you. We appreciate you. We're happy that you're here with us today. Brother Mike. And Sister Jeannie. Well, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for having us here this weekend. It has just been an honor, and we have just enjoyed it so very much. You are in such a great, great place. You really, really are. And if your desire is to grow in the things of God, you are in the right place. Because this couple down here, they love Jesus with all of their heart. And in any situation that you're in, they're going to point you to Jesus. And so I just say again, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth and Jordan. We love you from the bottom of our heart. And um, so, take it away, dear. Amen. All right, there she is, Miss Ware. Praise God. Hey, you know something? Uh, You might have to start thinking about going to two services in 2022, because I don't see that many empty chairs. I believe God's doing something in the house. Amen? Do you sense the Lord's doing something in the house? I do. And uh, I think it's weird that you're all wearing your jerseys. Is anybody wearing a Bengals jersey? Is anyone wearing a Rams jersey? Those are all. You, what kind of jersey is that? Is that a Rams jersey? Oh, is that a Rams jersey? You're the only one that's like a winner. Everybody else are losers. Look, I'm a Bronco fan. We're losers. He wore loser socks. Come on, baby. I love it, man. Hey, um, I was thinking about this this morning. So uh, I'm kind of weird and strange and all that kind of stuff. I'm from Louisiana originally. We've been living in Colorado for about 35, 60 years, however many years it's been. <clears throat> and, um, but I always talk about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? These are Cajuns. If you ever watch Swamp People on, I, I don't know, is that on... Home and Garden TV, I don't know, <laughs> Discovery TV or something. But they're, you know, they go out there and shoot the alligators and what have you. They're Cajuns. And so I grew up, you know, around the Cajuns. And so Boudreaux and Thibodeau are like, they're like my friends. And, uh, and Boudreaux was going to, he was building a shed in his backyard and Thibodeau was helping him. And so uh, Thibodeau's up there sawing and sawing and, and Boudreaux's right underneath. The saw slipped and cut off Boudreaux's ear. And I mean, I mean, I mean, they started looking through the sawdust and everything. After a couple of minutes, Thibodeau said, hey, Boudreaux, I think I found it. Is this your ear? He said, no. He said, that's not my ear. He said, mine had a pencil behind it. <laughs> I told you it's weird. Uh, not long ago, I took Jeannie in my arms, and I laid her back like this. And I looked her in the eyes, and I said, tell me I'm sexy. And you did exactly what she did. She started laughing hysterically. I mean, what, what, what is the problem here? 
Man. Uh, which reminds me of Boudreaux and his wife, Cotille. <laughs> Cotille says, she said, look at that funny guy over there who's drinking a lot. And Boudreaux said, well, who is he? She said, well, five years ago, I turned him down for marriage. He said, well, he's still celebrating after five years his freedom. <laughs> uh, by the way, this morning, I'm talking about the six secrets of a happy relationship and a happy marriage. We've been in a marriage conference. And for those of you that couldn't come, I'm going to give you a little dab. And this little dab will do you today. I promise you, these six, whether you're single or you're married, I promise you, you're going to get something out of this. So you need to take some notes and pay attention because I believe the Lord wants to do something great. Now, I know that you've all heard this, but I heard Boudreaux say this one time. He said, marriage is a three ring circus. He said, it's an engagement ring, a wedding ring. And he said, it's also suffering. But I've got a fourth ring, and that's why he needs to pay attention. You need to pay attention. It's the word enduring. And if you're going to have a happy relationship or a happy marriage, you've got to figure out how to endure to the end. And again, if you're single or married, I want you to pay close attention. Take some notes. This could be a life changer. It could be a game changer for your marriage or your relationship. And by the way, how many of you want to be happy? Anybody want to be happy? I do too. We want a happy marriage and a happy relationship. But uh, happiness comes from one thing. It comes from harmony. We've got to have a harmony. Harmony, in fact, from these six secrets I'm about to share with you, I think you'll find some harmony in a relationship. So, so I'm going to jump in here in just a moment. But let me read this to you out of Philippians chapter 2. Paul wrote and he said, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one heart and purpose. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about harmony, about working together. You know, harmony comes when you do things together where you can be happy together. That's what that's all about. And so the reality is that there are few relationships, few marriages that have real harmony. There's a lot of fighting going on, but there's not a lot of harmony going on. And uh, what you expected maybe in a relationship or what you expected in a Marriage uh, maybe has not happened. Maybe some of you, uh, you started off with an ideal and it turned into an ordeal and now you're looking for a new deal. And that's pretty catchy, isn't it? I like that. <clears throat> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you marry. You know, good marriages, strong families don't just happen. It takes a lot of energy. It takes commitment. You have to be intentional about it. And, uh, and I've got good news for all of you. It does not take gigantic changes to have harmony in a relationship or harmony in a marriage or in a home. It doesn't take big things. Sometimes it's just a little thing. And so I've got six things that I'm going to share, six elements that I think will bring harmony into a relationship. Okay, again, if you're single, listen, I know that it's going to be a lot of this is in the context of marriage, but if you're single, maybe one day you're going to be married. And maybe you're single because you were married once before and you don't know these six things, so I'm going to share them with you. And hopefully it will help you out. Amen. Number one, it takes communication. It takes the right kind of communication to have a successful and satisfying marriage. In Proverbs 13, it says reliable communication permits progress. Is that on? Okay, yeah, there it is. Uh, reliable communication permits progress. And if you want to make progress in a relationship or in a marriage, you've got to talk. You've got to say something. 85% of all marriage problems are because of poor communication. 
because we just don't talk anymore. I mean, a study was done. It said the average couple only speaks about four minutes a day to each other. So in a week's time, we spend 47 hours in front of a television and a little bit less than 30 minutes a week talking to each other. And you wonder why there's a problem? It's because we're not communicating. We're surrounded by noise and activities and the TV and our technology and all of those kind of things. Most of our meals are in front of a TV or our heads buried in our iPad. I mean, about the only communication we have is, where's the remote? That's about all we say sometimes. But you can't make any progress if you don't talk to each other. It's about communication. I heard a couple... Uh, I think they had trouble with communication, but she said, at least you could talk to me while I'm sewing. He said, why don't you sew to me while I'm reading? <laughs> That's not communication. I heard about another couple, they were laying bed. She says, honey, she says, I think there's a mouse under the bed. He said, why don't you think there's a cat under the bed and go to sleep? <laughs> That's not communication, Right? I mean, that's not how you build a solid foundation. It's like Boudreaux and Clotilde, his wife. You know, since the argument, they quit talking. And so all they were doing is they were passing notes to each other. Because they weren't talking. They were just writing down notes. So he wrote Clotilde a note. He said, Clotilde, wake me up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Well, the next day when he woke up, it was 9 o'clock. I mean, he was so mad. And he turned over and looked over at the pillow. And there was a note on the pillow, Boudreaux, wake up. It's 6 a.m. That is not communication. I want you to get this. When a girl is born, when a girl is born, she develops linguistic skills much faster than a male. Now, we've got two granddaughters and two grandsons, and I've watched this. You know, when you have your own kids, you don't pay any attention because you're just trying to make a living. But when you get over, older and have grandkids, come on, anybody have grandkids? Isn't that a lot of fun? I mean, the greatest thing a grandparent can say to a grandchild is, after they've been with you all day, the greatest thing a grandparent can say to a grandchild is, uh, hello, hey, uh, your parents are here. <laughs> yeah, I see somebody going, uh-huh. But this is true. This is a lifelong talent of a girl, is that they have greater linguistic skills. They're more proficient in conversation. We've watched this with our granddaughters. It's amazing how at about two to three years old, they can carry on real conversations. Boys are just grunting and playing with toys. It's, it is, I'm telling you, it's really remarkable. But, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, women have the capacity. And ladies, don't get mad at me. This is true. Women speak three times more words than men. That's just a fact. And that's a study that's been done. And so, you know, ladies, if you, if you speak 30 or 40,000 words a day, a man may speak 10 or 15,000 words a day. And when he gets home from work, he's already used up all his words. <laughs> and if you've been home with kids, and some of you, I know you're working, but then, I mean, I mean, you're wanting to have any kind of conversation, anything, because most of the words you've been using all day, day long is no, I said no. And so you want to have some kind of meaningful conversation. But see, men don't talk as much as women do because women have a bigger storage capacity than a man does. And so she's just, like I say, trying to talk about anything. Let me read to you this study because according to researchers, the female brain contains more cells that control speech functions than males. Now, did you know that? One person knew that. <clears throat> 
The study said that simple speech causes the, the emission of hormones in a woman's brain, giving her the same sensation which a drug addict feels after he receives a long-awaited dose. Also, the difference between male and female brains are formed in the mother's womb. Did you know that? Testosterone starts affecting the formation of the developing male brain. It actually reduces the size of the cerebral zone controlling perception. As a result of this influence, the study said, zones controlling speech, emotion, and memory in a male's brain decreases. This causes men to become deaf to most logical arguments, and boys, later men, speak less than women and try to hide their emotions as much as they can. What this study is trying to say is that men are brain damaged. <laughs> I've got an excuse. Hallelujah. It's not my fault. You know, I saw that there was a book called The Female Mind, and uh, it says that women have an eight-lane superhighway you know, in their, in their brain, you know, for processing emotions. They said men have a, a small dirt road, a country road. <laughs> I tried to find a book called The Male Mind, and I couldn't find one, but, but I did find a sheet of paper. It was blank on one side, but there was a picture to color on the other. <clears throat> but I'm not so certain all communications are men's problems. I think sometimes women are the problem with communication, and all the men said, you better not say a thing. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of Boudreaux and Clotilde again. Because Clotilde wanted to get a divorce, and so she goes to the judge, and the judge says, do you have any grounds? She says, yeah, we got four acres. <laughs> he said, well, do you have a grudge? She said, no, we park our car in the front yard. <laughs> he says, well, does your husband beat you up? She said, no, I get up before him every morning. He said, well, then why just don't communicate? Well, because we just can't communicate. <laughs> See, it's not all men's fault. Sometimes women just don't communicate well. By the way, communication is not about a lot of words. It's about the right kind of words. That's what it's about. You know, yesterday we talked about edifying communication and corrupt communication. I don't have time to talk about that this morning. But sometimes we just don't use the right kind of words. It's about communicating where each understand. You know, we can say it in a way that the other person understands. And I think there's a, a, the problem in relationships, families, uh, home dynamics, marriages. It's a lack of communication. Because when you quit talking, resentment builds up. You begin to doubt one another. Uh, you have the, these feelings that become weak with one another. And listen, small talk ends up turning into no talk. That's why it's important for us to figure out how to communicate. Because when you quit talking to each other, you start forgetting about each other. Now, I've watched this. I've been a pastor in a ministry for decades, and I've watched this in marriages. When you quit communicating, when you quit talking, you start forgetting about each other. So to succeed in a marriage or relationship, you've got to be able to agree on things. That's why the book of Amos says that unless two are agreed, you can't walk together. It's hard to walk together unless you talk. You know, sometimes you need to open up your mouth and begin to talk. Poor communication leads to fights and arguments. By the way, the silent treatment does not work. But just because, there's no, just because, there, just because nobody's talking in the house doesn't mean there's peace in the house. Right? So poor communication is a danger in any relationship. And, um, but let me give you some sound advice. If you're, willing to, if you're willing to talk it out, you're willing to work it out. 
So if you have a problem in your relationship, if you just start talking about it, I promise you, the Lord's going to help you work it out. Number two, let me give you the second thing. It takes consideration. These are the six secrets of a, of, of a harmonious relationship, of a happy marriage, happy relationship. The first is communication. Number two is consideration. Consideration means paying attention to what people say and how they feel, showing common courtesy, uh, preferring one over the other. In fact, I, let me read this to you. It's in uh, Philippians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 4, verse 2. It says, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know, that's what love does. It means to be considered. Sometimes we need to be considered because we do love them. We need to show some preference to them, show some consideration to them. I mean, that's just common courtesy. We need to have a little more common courtesy in a relationship or marriage. I mean, it's like, it's like men bringing in the groceries when it's the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl today. It's like, it's like her making you a cherry cheesecake when you weren't expecting it, genie. <clears throat> it's waiting until both her legs are in the car before you pull out. I solve that. I just go around the other side, open the car door for her. And so by the time I get in, she's got the door shut. Come on, somebody. Here's what it's like when you first got married. And she got a cold. First year, oh, baby, darling, I'm so sorry that you've gotten sick. I mean, with that little sniffle, I've called the paramedics to take you down to the health center. And by the way, I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm going to have it all brought in to you. First year. Second year of marriage. Sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. And I've arranged for Dr. Johnson to make a house call. So let me, let me tuck you in bed until he comes. Third year of marriage. Uh... Uh, you know, you look like you got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to Walgreens, get you some medicine? I'll watch the kids. The fourth year of marriage. Look, just be sensible. After you bathed and fed the kids and washed the dishes, I mean, you really ought to go to bed. The fifth year of marriage. For Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? You sound like a barking dog. I can't even watch TV. Why don't you go in another room? That's kind of the progression of what happens. Because there's no consideration. A man told me one time, he said, in the first year of our marriage, he said, my wife used to bring me my slippers and the dog came barking. Now the dog brings me my, brings me my slippers. Did you even get that? And so my wife comes barking. Never mind. You could probably say consideration is a word like respect. Respect. Respect is doing to others what you want done to you. And by the way, uh, without love, women react. Without respect, men react. That's the basic nature of men and women. When a man shows love for his wife, it motivates her respect. When a woman respects her husband, it motivates a love for her. They just work together like that. One Bible translation says this, James 3, it says, Consider, consideration is a mark of wisdom, which means to say a lack of consideration means you're stupid. That's my version. That's how I read it. You know, you're dumb as a rock if you're not considerate. So that's the second thing. A happy marriage, happy relationship never happened without putting the other person first sometimes. Can I hear an amen from anybody? 
I've been married 48 years or nearly. Number three, I've learned a few things. Not much, but I've learned a few. I'm trying to share some with you. Number three, it takes compromise. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. It says, love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish. And watch this. It does not demand its own way. You know, that's the real mark of love. Real love is not selfish. It's not demanding. It gives before it receives. You know, what used to be, uh, what used to be uh, genuine love in most relationships now are performance love. In other words, I'll love you if you do certain things. If you don't do certain things, you know, I'm not going to love you like I used to. It's all about performance. Can I tell you, that's not, what, that's not what healthy relationships, you don't find harmony that way at all. I mean, the problem with many marriages, when you made your vow and you said, I do, uh, afterwards you didn't. And some of you need to go back and turn your I do into an I will. That's what you need to do. You know, I, uh, as a pastor, I've seen a lot of people get married. I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings. And uh, at the altar, they say, I do to him or who, uh, him or her. A little bit later on, they're thinking about, I, I, I redo him or her. That's how they think, you know. We're gonna, I'm going to change them. And you know, by the way, men don't want to be changed. So ladies, if you're trying it, I'm just going to tell you, men resist that. Just, I mean, with all of our being, we're going to resist it. We don't want to do that. We're going to be who we are. It's just, we're hard-headed. We're egotistical. We're all those kind of things. If you'll just show us some respect, we'll change. If you'll show us some admiration, we'll change. Can I hear an amen from any of the men in the house? I don't know if you know what the progression of a wedding is. Do most of you know what a progression of a wedding is? You know, you walk down an aisle, you come to the altar, and then you hear a hymn. That's kind of the progression. Those are the three things. You know, the, you come down the aisle, you know, to the altar, then hear a hymn. So it's just three words. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Are you even here? Or are you thinking about the Super Bowl? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> no matter how perfect you think you are, how perfect you think they are, you're never going to agree on anything. That's why we compromise. And, um, you know, Jeannie says flexible branches don't break. And that's what has to happen in a relationship. You have to be flexible. Because you're not going to get your way every time. And when you do, that shows you're not flexible. That shows something's going to break. The relationship is probably going to break. And I think more marriages die because of inflexibility. You get rigid, stiff, I want it my way, my way, or the highway, that kind of thing. And uh, before long, you don't really have a relationship. There is no harmony in that kind of relationship at all. But it, look, no matter what happens in any kind of relationship or marriage, you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to compromise on how you raise kids, on how you're going to spend your money, on where you're going to go on vacation. Come on, am I right about this? Life is about compromise, whether we like it or not. And more marriages die from inflexibility than from just about anything else. Because they get so rigid and so stiff about what they want and don't want, don't want. But let me tell you, let me give you my definition of compromise. Compromise is where neither party gets what they want. It's true, isn't it? And there are a lot of realities that surface when you get married, and some of those are trying to find the middle ground. In any kind of relationship, that's what it's about. I mean, some people are morning people. You get up early in the morning, you're fine with that. Some people are night people. You don't even believe in God till about 11 a.m. Yeah. Is that you? Caleb, is that you? All the time I hear all these morning people get out of 
Oh, Lord, help you. I know where you've lost your hair over that, I've noticed. That's one for me right there. Caleb is hilarious, by the way. Amen. Come on, Caleb. We love you, man. Look, throughout your marriage, you're going to have to find some mutual ground, some common ground. Can I hear an amen from anybody? (laughs) Because love does not demand its own way. Didn't we just read that? Marriage or relationship is never about getting your own way, ever. Compromise is just simply trying to reach an agreement together. That's all it is. And that's the secret, I think, of an enduring relationship and an enduring marriage. You've got to be willing to be flexible. Number four, it takes courtship. Courtship. These are all C's, by the way. I could say dating, but that's a D word. And courtship is a C word. So everything's a C word, so it's courtship. (laughs) Proverbs 5, verse 19. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Another Bible translation says it this way. Let your mate's affection fill you at all times with delight. I don't know if you notice this, but it said at all times, at all times. You know, God intended for marriage to have romance and a lot of fun and playfulness and all this kind of thing. That's what God designed it. He said at all times. And and the reason why is because when you get married, it's all legal. You can do what you want to do. It's a lot of fun. It ought to be a lot of fun. But if you're not doing the other three or four things I've already shared with you, you're not going to have any fun because there's no harmony. There's no love. But it takes courtship. Courtship doesn't end at marriage. It continues because, uh, as I said, everything is legal in God's eyes. So, I mean, you ought to be courting one another even after you've been married. I don't care how long you've been married. So that you can be affectionate at all times. Look, if there was, if there was more courting in marriages, there would be less marriages in court. Come on, I'd have preached right there. That's another one for me. Without your help, Caleb. When it comes to romance and keeping your marriage strong, there's a huge problem. Husbands and wives see each other. Once you get married, the husbands and wives see each other at their worst times. You've ever noticed this? Because you see each other for a few minutes when you get up in the morning. I mean, your hair is all going about 17 different ways. I mean, you're, 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 you're all just kind of messed up. Your hair's messed up. You, ladies don't have any makeup. I mean, your breath is so bad it kills small animals. A few minutes in the morning, I mean, that's how it is. And of course, you're stressed trying to get ready, get the kids out, get them to school, go to work, all those kind of things. And then evening when you come home, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're worn out, you're irritable, and you have nothing to give. And you see your mate at the worst part of the day, in the morning and at the evening. That's why you intentionally need to plan for courtship. You know, I date my wife. And we, we try to make Thursdays our date night. And by the way, you don't have to spend money on a date. Sometimes it's just getting away and getting alone sometimes. But I mean, we'll go and get a Sonic burger. I don't even like Sonic burgers. She likes them. But it doesn't matter to me because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to court her. I'm trying to spend some time with her because I know that that's how a relationship has grown, how it's built. That's how we have harmony in our home. So it's more about time spent more than it is about money spent. And most people don't court anymore. I'll use, okay, date. You don't date anymore. Because, I, because you, you know, you just, you don't. You just don't do it for whatever reason. And when you stop doing that, uh, or what you did in the beginning to win your mate's love, 
that love begins to crumble and erode. You've got to keep doing what you did to attract them. So they stay attracted. Men, you used to say to your wife, I mean, you're more beautiful than tulips in the spring. Oh, wow, your eyes sparkle like glitter on an angel's wing. That's how you used to say to her. Ladies, you used to say to, to, your, to your future mate, baby, your muscles are bigger than Hercules when he was in the first grade. I mean, when I see your biceps, oh, it just brings tears to my eyes. She, men, she used to get candy and kisses from you, but now she gets burps and gas. <laughs> Ladies, you used to give him eye candy. I mean, you dress up, you look, I mean, you look amazing and kisses on dates, but now he looks at you and you've got so much cream on your face, he thinks you're going to swim the English Channel. <laughs> Ladies, you see him sound asleep on the couch. I mean, he's laying there, his belly's touching the floor just about. He's got the remote in his hand, slobber's coming down on the side. His mouth is wide open, he's snoring, you think, my God, what did I marry? <laughs> Men, you see her coming out of the bathroom, getting ready for bed. She looks like one of the characters from the Star Wars bar scene. <laughs> You're going, Lord, what did I marry? Ladies, I want you to know, men are very achievement-oriented. You know, we did everything we could to woo you to marry you, because you were the one. That's why we picked you. I mean, we did things we'd never do, like go to operas, buy flowers, you know, do, do stuff like that. But I, once we got you, can I tell you what? I mean, we, we got that goal done. Our next goal is we got to provide for it. i got to provide for the woman I love. I've got to provide for a family. I've got to work hard. I've got to do all those kind of things. And in the process, we kind of forget about the romance. We forget about, about this thing called courtship. That's just kind of how men are. Because now we've got to prove our love to you by providing for you. That's how men are. And, uh, but, but we're not providing the romance maybe that you want or the type of affection that you want. And so because of that, a woman says, what happened to my knight in shining armor? I don't feel affection or love anymore. Because a man feels like when I provide for you, that's my affection. That's my love for you. But that's not what you had in the beginning. I mean, it reminds me of Boudreaux and Clotilde. I mean, Clotilde was so depressed, Boudreaux took her to a psychiatrist. And so when they get there, uh, he said, he said, he said uh, Clotilde is depressed. She says she hardly talks to me anymore. She won't do anything around the house. I'm really concerned. The psychiatrist said, well, let me just talk to her for a few minutes. Well, when he pulled her off to the side in the office, he, he, she found, or he found out that she was depressed because Boudreaux was always working. He was out on the bayou in the shrimp boat, shrimping or he's fishing or doing whatever. He stayed out late because he's trying to make a living for his wife. And so when he brings, the psychiatrist brings uh, Clotilde back in the room, he said, Boudreaux, this is what you need to do to Clotilde every single day. And he walks over there, hugs her, and he gives her a big old juicy kiss. He said, you need to do this every single day of the week. Boudreaux said, well, I said, I'll do the best I can, but I, know I can only get back here Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. <laughs> Times. Men, we don't get it sometimes. Ecclesiastes 9 says, Live happily with the woman you love through the fleeting days of life. For the wife God gives you is your best reward down here for all your earthly toil. 
I'm going to challenge you men to date your mate. I'm going to challenge you to do that. I mean, make that relationship a priority. Try to become best friends again. Because uh, uh, I'm going to tell you, the cracks that are in the foundation of your relationship with marriage can be healed and sealed if you'll just spend a little investment, a little time, if your relationship is suffering because the courtship has faded, it's time to change that today. You need to figure out a date night. And men, you know what you need to do? You need to figure it out yourself. Don't ask your wife. Say, uh, baby, we're going to go out next Wednesday. Or we're going to go, whatever works for you, we're going to go out Friday. I've already got babysitters for the kids. I, don't, I mean, that would be really impressive if you get the babysitters. But, uh, uh, but you need to figure that part out. And she said, well, where are we going? He said, you just dress up. I've got a surprise for you. And take her to McDonald's. Get her an ice cream cone. It doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> She's just going to be glad that you took the time to invest in her. It's called courtship. Let me go to number five so I don't run out of time. It takes commitment. Malachi 2, it says, I hate divorce. New Living Translation. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. It is as cruel as putting on a victim's blood-stained coat says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourselves. Always remain loyal to your wife. You know, I'm not so sure that a lot of people really know what, what commitment really is. I mean, it seems we're only committed to things when it feels good, when it's convenient. I mean, that's in relationships and marriage. It's in a lot of things in life. I see so many people making promises they're going to do this, they're going to do that, until something better comes along. I watch that in church. Oh, pastor, I'll be here. Don't worry, I'll be here. And they don't show up. That's because something better came along. They wanted to go play golf or they wanted to watch this TV show or whatever it was. That's not commitment. If that's how your commitment is, it's probably how your commitment is in your relationship and why it's a problem right now. It takes commitment. We make so many promises each week and we have no intention sometimes of ever keeping them. And I think making shallow commitments has become part of our culture, part of our nature. Come on, don't everybody shout me down right now because I know this is true. One of the main reasons why we see this is because we've got several generations now who think, uh, I've got to do what's best for me. That's what I hear. Well, I've just got to do what's best for me. You know what that's called? That's called selfishness. Selfishness doesn't take you higher. It takes you lower. Jesus said you have to lose your life to get it. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You know what that is? That's selflessness is what that is. And the more selfish you become, the more self-centered you be saying, it's not what's best for me. And the more unhappy you become. Look, it's not, it's not, we shouldn't be saying it's not what's best for me. That's not what we should be saying. We should be saying, I've got to do what God says is best for me. We need to change that a little bit. Because you'll never have a great marriage or relationship until you throw out the option of divorce. Get it out of your mind. So long as you've ever thought about divorce or the possibility of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to stick with her. I don't know if I'm going to stick with him. As long as you even entertain that, can I tell you right now, you're never going to have a commitment. Never. The devil will make sure of that. Always. And there are too many that want to build a whole new house when all you've got to do is make a few repairs. By the way, do you know that Jesus is called the carpenter? Because he knows how to repair things, remodel things, renew things. He knows how to sheetrock did you know that? In a basement. <laughs> he knows how to float it. He knows how to do this kind of stuff. You know, uh, 
This coming June, Jeannie and I will be married 48 years. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Twelve of them have been amazing. I'm just joking. It was 15. But 48 years, the first few years were terrible. We had to learn how to grow up together and grow together. We had to learn how to love together, how to compromise. All these things we're talking about, I'm talking about today. We had to learn these things. We're still learning these things. But we've been married 48 years. That's a milestone in this world right now. It's like somebody asked me one time, and says, do you have any children? I said, I have two children from my first wife. I said, she's still my first wife. <laughs> but you know, when we got married, I made a commitment to Jeannie. When we walked down that aisle and the preacher was there, I didn't make a commitment to the preacher. I didn't make a commitment to her parents or my parents. I looked her in the eye and I made a commitment to her and to God. That we would stay married until death do we part. Now, I'm glad I've lived this long because I'm sure there's been a few times she wanted to murder me in the night. <laughs> but we made that commitment. It's called a commitment. I made a decision that I'm going to be committed. Larry Stocks still told me, he said, if my wife leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> that was the commitment he decided on. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy until you work it out. Now, I didn't hear an amen on that, but it should have been one. And that may take a while. You know, sometimes it takes years to become an overnight success. You do know that, don't you? That just went over your head, too. You're thinking about the, you got your loser jerseys on. You're thinking about the Broncos or somebody. I don't know who you're thinking about. But you need to be thinking about what I'm saying right now. The greatest enemy to your foundation of a relationship marriage is the myth of compatibility or incompatibility. I hear that all the time. I tell couples, that don't ever come to me and say, we're incompatible. I said, that's a myth. Some attorney made that up so they can kind of make a plea for divorce. Because I know the two people, if you're willing to do these things that I'm talking about right now, you can be compatible. It may take a while, but you can be compatible. I think it's just an excuse to hide your failings or to blame somebody else because incompatibility is stubbornness, is selfishness, is what it is. They say, well, I, we're not compatible. That means, you know what they're saying? They're saying that I'm not willing to change. That's exactly what they're saying to me. And I've decided that two people can be compatible if they'll work at it, if they'll talk, if they'll communicate, all those kind of things. And by the way, I just want to remind some of you, if you're thinking about it over there, you'll find it. It's not greener on the other side because there's weeds in that grass too. You just wait till you get over there, you'll find them. Your marriage will be what you both commit to making it. Communication, consideration, compromise, courtship, commitment. And the last one, the last C, is Christ. It takes Christ. Christ will give you power, strength, ability to do these other things I've just spoken of. He is the one that can resurrect your life. He can put power, he can breathe life into your dead relationship. He can breathe life into it. That's what he does. I told you earlier, he's the carpenter. He fixes things. He repairs things. He can build things. And some of you need to have some building going on in your relationships. You need somebody to come in there that knows how to drive a nail. That knows how to knows how to paint something and make it look nice. How to do the finish work, the trim work. 
You need a carpenter to come help you right now because you're not good at it. You've never been good at it. You don't know how to make that commitment. You don't know how to to be considered or to communicate well. You don't know how to do those kind of things that are essential to have a tremendous marriage. I love what Paul said. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He realized that it doesn't matter what I have to deal with, no matter what I'm facing. Christ will give me the strength to change. Christ will give me the strength in my marriage, in my relationship. He can strengthen you. He can strengthen your relationship. And I think the greatest thing that you can do for your home or life or marriage is to put Christ in the very center of it. Some of you are saying, well, my spouse is not saved. I don't care. You put Christ in the center. You let God deal with them. I know how, look, God can deal with them a lot better than you can. So why don't you just let God do his thing? You know, there was an old African saying, I remember. I've been in Africa a lot. And there was an old African saying, it says, after you've done all that you know how to do, they say, leave them for God. You need to leave them for God. Oh, I don't want to be left for God. God's going to slap me five ways, close to hell. But I'll pay attention at some point. But you need to bring Christ into the center of your home. Let him breathe life back into your relationship. You You ought to pray and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to come into this house. I want you to come into this relationship. They're not saved or they're not doing right. I know sometimes I'm not doing right. I want you to come in there and I want you to change me. Forget them. Change me. Change me, Lord. And when you've got a husband or wife both moving in that same direction, I'm going to tell you, Christ will come and be a glue that nothing can separate. That's why he says, let no man put asunder what God has joined together. Good marriages don't just happen. They're not an accident. They take a lot of effort. And it's built on these six things. You know, I heard a man one time say, and I'm going to close with this, I heard a man one time say that, uh, he was talking about a three-legged stool. He said, marriage is like a three-legged stool. He said, you know, if you just have two legs and try to stand it up, it's going to fall over. You know, just you and your spouse, you know, that's not going to work. But you've got to have that third leg. That third leg is Christ. Because when you have, in your, have him in your marriage, you can stand on anything and not fall. Because if you don't have him, you don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> right? I want to pray for you. Because I believe the Lord wants to do something in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship. I think some of you want to experience harmony in your relationship. You know, it takes commitment. It takes, it takes courtship. It takes... Uh, Christ. It takes all these things we talked about a little while ago. With your eyes closed for just a moment because I I just really want you to have this little moment between you and the Lord. How many of you would lift your hand and say, I need to have a better marriage and relationship? Just lift your hand up and you put it right back down. Nobody's looking. It's just you and God right now. Okay, there's hands all over this sanctuary that are saying, I need this. Now, maybe there's one or more of these six things that I mentioned to you just a moment ago that you need to focus on, like communication or consideration. Maybe it's, maybe it's courtship. Maybe it's commitment. Maybe it's compromise. I don't know. But I'm going to ask the Lord right now, whatever it is that 
that one or more of those C's that you need to ask Christ to help you with, I believe He's going to do it right now. I have faith in this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hands that just went up a moment ago. These are honest people who said, I don't know if I have the harmony that I want in my relationship. I don't know if I have the happiness that I'd like to have. Lord, some of it's my fault. I don't communicate well. I've not made the kind of commitment I should have made. I've not been considerate. Lord, I don't feel like I've dated or tried to court my son. Something is because, you know, we've been married so long and they know I love them. Lord, something has happened in our relationship. We've not compromised. We've not gotten on the same page so we can walk together. And I'm asking you, Christ, the sixth part, the sixth C. Christ, I'm asking you to come right now. The carpenter, the healer, the one who can breathe life into a relationship and a marriage. And I'm asking you to breathe that divine breath back into my life first and then into this relationship so that we can honor you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, one last thing before I, I get you to come back up. I was flying out of New Orleans not long ago. And I saw a young couple. They couldn't have been but in their middle 20s, married. And they were getting off the shuttle bus, I guess from the car rental or wherever it was they came from. And they had six of the biggest bags I think I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, they were struggling trying to get them off. People were kind of getting a little irritated because they were in the way of the doors, you know, the doors that open up. And they're trying to get all these bags up and kind of line them up and trying to figure out how to get them into the airport. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, you know, that's the life of a lot of people. They just carry baggage around with them everywhere they go. Because, see, they were about to go into the airport and check their bags so that when they got to their destination, they can go pick up their baggage and wait for it on the carousel that goes in a circle and say, oh, that's mine. And then struggle with it as they leave the next airport. The Lord began to speak to me about the baggage we carry around in our life and our marriage, our relationship. And you know, sometimes you just need to get rid of the bags. You know what? I never check a bag. I can be going for three weeks overseas and I just have a little carry-on in my briefcase. That's all I carry. And you know what? Some of you need to switch out your bags because you've got a lot of baggage. And everywhere you go, you look for it. Everywhere you go, you're, you're struggling with it. You're trying, to, you're trying to carry it along with you. And I believe the day the Lord wants you to get rid of that stuff. That's the sin in your life, the failures, the mistakes you've had. It's the guilt, it's the shame, it's all of those things. And we carry it around. You don't need to carry it around. Christ has already paid the price. So you could travel for free without the baggage. Now, one more time, just close your eyes. Is there somebody here that needs to dump the bags? Slip your hand up. Say, I just need to dump the bags. I'm tired of carrying all this junk around. I don't want to live this way anymore. There's a hand. Is there anybody else? Anybody? There's another one. Come on. Is there anybody? There's another one. Come on. You've had enough. You're tired of lugging these baggage around in your life, and that's the end of this. You're just saying, I'm going light from now, and I'm going to travel light, hang loose, and keep it simple, because Jesus is my Lord. I want to make him my Lord. Slip up your hand. I'm not going to wait much longer. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you lifted your hand, I'm going to pray the prayer. You just make it yours, Lord. I lifted my hand because I'm tired of the baggage. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of the sin. I want to be free from all of it right now in Jesus' name. 
And so I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to ask you to come and remove the baggage, the shame from my soul. Lord God, the, the sin from my life. Lord, today I'm calling on you to deliver me and to free me that I can live this life free without the weight of baggage, without having to wait on that baggage, without that baggage following me everywhere I go. Lord, today I declare I am free and I am yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate what God just did today. Amen, Pastor. I, uh, I appreciate the man of God. Thank you, Brother Mike. Will you stand up with us this morning? From, from the time I was in worship, I just had this sense this morning that God was going to deal with your future. So if you need prayer for anything you're going through, these altars are open. I can't help but feel like God's got a future and a destiny for you. Maybe you feel like, you know, my marriage is going to be better after this. Maybe you're single and you think, man, I, I, I want to get married. It happened for my mom when she was 65. She married a man who was 68. Grandma said that he was too old for her. But God had a future. And listen, he's got a future for you. Amen? Hopefully he's got a future for, I don't know who to go for today. I would have said Joe Burrow, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we love you all. Come on out next week. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Don't forget Wednesday nights. We're having a great, great time. Give Pastor Mike and Jeannie a, a hug and a kiss. They just had COVID, so they're immune. You can kiss them all you want. They ain't going to get it. We love you all. We'll catch you next week.